0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out in New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, triveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Lit Yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. It's one of my favorite days where you ask questions and I answer. And I'm answering with my co-host, Kristen KB Williams. (laughs) Hey everybody. Oh, we love doing this together. All right, let's pop right in. Parkness Yoga, could popping of the ribs also be too much extension at T12L1? Or is it a combo of both? You want to talk about that?
1: Sure. Um, I think definitely popping of the lower ribs. You know, that's right down where your your T twelve is the bottom of your thoracic spine, and so your your lower actually the ribs that um, are the floating ribs. So, so you really don't necessarily see them popping. It's probably more around T ten, T nine, T eight. But um, if you have Not a lot of people really have, I would say, excessive movement there, but it is a junction. The the thoracolumbar junction is an area that we will see dysfunction. We will see sometimes people, if they don't have mobility in the thoracic or the lumbar spine, they will hinge at that joint. So, would I call it hyperextension? I mean, it could be. Yeah. I mean, so typically when we're thinking of the spine, we look at those transitional areas. So, where the lumbosacral, L5S1, T12L1, the thoracolumbar, and then C7T1 are the really the three areas of like they're they're red zones, they're hot zones where we can have extra movement because we're stiff in the spine between those areas. So popping of the ribs, I think could that could be part of it for sure. What about you? I agree.
0: I think that. I still would mostly pay attention to the front ribs because they're going to give you the the most amount of information. I think if you work on not totally restraining them, but really getting to know uh, the front rib area that is that are those floating ribs that don't connect to the sternum, and not allowing them to move every time you're trying to like reach your arms up or um, just standing up tall. Like, notice do they naturally kind of push forward because that. Could lead to that hyperextension, or or just exce- it's I, for me. I think it's excessive tension in the fascia. That's really more what I see. Is not a lot of people because because your thoracic spine is limited in extension to a degree because you have organs in there and stuff. So I think it's more of the fascia that, around it that really will feel restricted. So you do need to to mobilize in in both directions, in flexion and extension and when you come into like extension see what happens in the lower ribs can you think more of lifting the sternum up and lift and extend from you know that like li- like literally lifting the rib cage away from the pelvis in your extension because sometimes we get confused like extension just feels like extension if we just push our ribs forward but we're not necessarily getting true e- the the axial extension combined with thoracic extension. We're just creating a lot of tension there. So these are kind of small minutiae points, but they do matter. They do matter if you have this uh, restriction there. Okay, so let's go to the next thing. Any thought that people have asked this before too, Jenny from the Bullock, any thoughts on best position to sleep, physical sleep aids like pillows for some support, we have answered this before. We talked about a body pillow. Both of us are big fans of like either one long body pillow or three or four pillows where you kind of hug them, put them between your knees, put them between your ankles, getting yourself in the best position where not one joint is kind of held in you know an awkward position all night long, right? Would you add anything more to that?
1: No, we've definitely covered this before. And I think it truly, um, a lot of times sleeping posture depends upon really how your body is during the day. If that, if that makes sense, So let's say if your hips and shoulders bother you during the day, then you have to address the body pillows. Great. If your low back bothers you during the day, the pillow between the knees is maybe needed or the pillow under the knees, you know, where you're some sort of you know lumbar uh we used to call those just like the little um wedges you know underneath the knees so you're a little more neutral in your spine uh so it's definitely not a one size fits all answer for sleeping just however you get the best sleep and then are in like you said the best most neutral posture for your body
0: yeah set yourself up uh it just made me think of like yoga bolsters would be really nice if you have one and you do have Say like lum like lumbar pain after sleeping. Um, like KB was saying, put it under your knees, and you can really get your pelvis more neutral. Now you might not stay that way, but you're actually positioning yourself to make it a little bit more challenging to flip around um, and move. But some people just can't sleep well on their back, and you just have to get something maybe underneath your abdominals, like to to kind of fill up that low back, so you're not arching if you're on your stomach. All right, the next question um, is from. Ada Mosacue, which movements, poses, would you recommend for active hip internal rotation? Da, da, da. You want to go first?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, active hip internal rotation. So, you know, I think a lot of our, our twisted crescents are, you know, you, you, you because we, we try to keep the pelvis neutral, but I do think there is a bit of hip internal rotation. Just be mindful of the fact that we don't really have as much hip internal rotation as we do. External rotation. And a lot of yoga poses in neutral, which is where we have more hip internal rotation, which would be like a standing posture, are really more externally rotated. We think of tree, we think of figure four. We don't really have internal rotation of the hips in a neutral position, which is where you can get the most. Usually, when we're internally rotating, it is in a flex, and you have to be careful with that because of the impingement that we just talked about in our last QA. That flexion and internal rotation can really cause that anterior impingement. So sometimes I add it in to like my goddess pose where I'll have a pivot on one foot, internally rotate and then out and then pivot and internally rotate, you can alternate. I do alternating one knee and then the other people love it. Golfers love it because they need that internal rotation for their swing. So being in a goddess pose, turn one knee and pivot on the toe, turn it out, alternate. I like to do it also... Again, it's a bit more of an external rotation, but in a forward fold straddle where you come into straddle and then heels in, squat, heels out. So that's more of an active internal rotation to neutral, but probably my favorite internal rotation pure is when we do it in our goddess and just bring them in. Uh, but, But she's right. There's, in my opinion, maybe you can think of something else, Laura, that I'm not. There's not too, too much. Eagle, you get a little internal rotation, but a lot of it's more externally rotation focused.
0: Absolutely. And I remember, I mean, this was years ago because I would see people like doing pigeon, double pigeon, and they'd always say, oh, I need some hip openers, hip openers. And then I would start throwing an internal rotation. And I would say like, this is actually, you know, we need to do more of this because... Yoga and like you said is so biased towards more of that external rotation, so much so that we start to we just believe like a hip opener has to involve like the you know external rotation. So two things I would do in addition to what you say, I love that goddess and moving one hip at a time into internal rotation. And I would recommend putting your fingers up at your hip crease so you can really feel the movement of the hip happening as you go from goddess into internal. Uh, The other one is also when we start in bridge and we bring, so if you're in a bridge and you come into one-legged bridge and you lift that, like, let's say you lift your left knee over your left hip and put your fingers in the hip crease and then start moving in external and internal rotation and get that mobility happening there. It's unweighted, but it's an active range. And it's really nice to feel where you like kind of the sticky spots are. Another move I just did, speaking of golfers, I made a golfer series and I can explain it as best as I can, but you're in a lunge on your fingertips. Let's say it's your left foot forward and you're on your right toes. And then you spin to the right with both feet parallel and you walk your hands over that way. So it's like a, a forward fold straddle. And then you walk your hands back to the front and you turn your right back toes forward, but you keep your left foot as it is. So what you're really doing is you're moving around an internally rotated hip and people feel this in various places. Some people don't even won't feel it in the hip because it feels so much in those lower, the lower leg muscles, what we learned as perineos, but are called fibularis. Now you'll feel so much pull on the outer foot and into the leg uh, we call it an IT band stretch, although you don't really stretch the IT band. You do stretch some of the fascia surrounding it. But you're moving into that internally rotated position. And so that's one way of also having a movement where your foot is loaded in weight bearing and getting that internal rotation.
1: You've got that one move in one of the core 10 classes that I love. It's basically a pyramid with the toes turned in. That's what oh. I was, yeah, ever- yeah love it yes,
0: and that's the thing so this is pyramid uh, well I said it was a fingertip lunge, but you could do it in pyramid and instead of just turning in the front foot your left foot you could also roll the right foot in and that internal rotation and it just it feels so nice on the lateral hips and you're getting that active internal rotation so you know again not to plug us, but we have literally hundreds of classes on our platform, the lit daily and we are Intelligent enough to know that we we need this movement, so we put it in there. So just go and check out um, what we're doing in that. Maybe we'll make an internal rotation flow up. Oh, there we go, KB. Okay, See, so we get ideas from your questions. All right, next question, Jessica Westberg. Uh, I think she's directing this at me, but I think you probably also instruct it this way. Why do you recommend to keep a cobra chest when coming into a handstand? Um. So I'll I'll first address it, and then I'd love your so. I started cueing that um, a while ago because what I noticed is from a standing split position, when people would go up into a handstand, they would immediately um round their upper back, protract the scapula, and then try and lift up. And when you are up in a handstand, your scapula will be protracted in in because it's upperly rotating. But to get there and really feel the connection of the scapula. On the back ribs, which is such a stabilizing point. I always think of this robot and I can't think of who it is. It's R2D2. <laughs> That's it. And you look at his little legs and how he's walking. And I look at this scapula as kind of being like an R2D2, like his, you know, his foot is on the ground. He's got the legs up and then it connects into the back there. And so whether you think of like his feet as the scapula, for the feet of the arms or you think of the upper part that would be more analogous to our scapula we want to keep the the integration of the scapula onto the back ribs in the in the most foundational way because once it does go into upper rotation it's not that it's not foundational it's just a harder way to catch your catch your whole body and it, then you have to figure out a lot of things upside down you will eventually get to upperly rotation But you literally also, by keeping your chest in that Cobra fashion, the chest open, you're leaning into the front part of the shoulder complex, which is the sternoclavicular joint. It is a very strong joint. And it structurally, when you have your uh, SC joint, your sternoclavicular joint open and leaning and weight bearing into it, it pulls the scapula onto your back ribs and you have this amazing security. To then lift your legs, your pelvis over your shoulders. So that's why I recommend it because I quite frankly find it way easier structurally to get into a handstand that way than to protract your scapula and have the and elevate when you are not yet in a hun, you know, over 90 degrees of flexion. So that's a lot of information, but trust me, it's easier anyway. And how about you, KB?
1: Yeah. First of all, did you mean the gold one? That's C three PO. Oh, maybe. Uh, no, the the
0: guy who's close to the ground. Yeah, and he's got his little legs like that. uh, I know. I know. Yeah. mm, I don't know who it is. Maybe I'm mixing up a lot of different. But I'm I'm thinking of like, oh, or maybe the Star Wars, the big guys who are walking and they look like big C three C three. I mean, they look like um, yeah, like the Star Wars, like the people that are whatever. You know, they have those big legs, robotic legs. And I, I think of like, that is such a, like I've, that's how I feel my hands into my back. And you could reverse it. Like the legs could be the scapula on the ground, you know, and the ground is your ribs. I think I might be overly explaining this, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like, it's just a real clear connection of scapula onto the ribs and your scapula are your foot at that point. Even though you're on your hands, the foot that connects you to your body.
1: Well, and see, I think this is, um, I agree with you hundred percent to me. It starts the conversation with your brain. The second you get that Cobra, your scapula, like hello, brain of scapula here, because you feel it. I think of it as the pelvis of the upper extremities. It's the same idea in that I'm weight bearing through now my pelvis in the same way that I think, I think there's a lack of communication with our core. So, you're absolutely right. It's standing on the back. But to me, it's like a dial up to the brain. The second you do that, Cobra, you feel the connection of the scapula to the ribs. And then now your brain is talking to your scapula, which it needs to talk to. You know, your scapula have to be set. Whether you're coming from a three legged, down dog, a standing split, they're going to upwardly rotate. But if you're not talking to the scapula, you're going to take it someplace else elbows, wrists, shoulders and you're going to get injured. But it also allows you to talk more clearly to the pelvis because they should move together. The pelvis and the scapula should stay in the same plane. Once you start breaking that plane with some arching of the back, then you become less stable. So the second you talk to the scapula by setting into that cobra, and then you get that leg up, You start talking to the butt now, and then you're having your conversations now, including it's like a little three-way conversation to the brain, the scapula, and the pelvis. Your handstand, I promise you, becomes so much more steady and strong and purposeful that you can really go so far with it. Oh, this I, is why I love the yeah.
0: This is why I love the handstand. It's not about the handstand, of course. It feels amazing, but it is it is probably the most. Um, it's like going to graduate school for brain mapping. You have to be so organized in so many ways, and yes, you can get there. Like you could you could just go and, but it's like going to the end of a uh, you know a, a collegiate class and taking the exam. You might be okay, but you haven't prepared. You haven't done all this stuff. So the people that kick up and really like, just just for the purpose of getting, like feeling it, they're actually not feeling it. They're losing so many steps along the way of re-education. I think I've re-educated more people and myself by teaching handstand, whether they get vertical right away, or it takes years, or they, you know, but they're, because what I always say is, the handstand doesn't lie, like you can stand on your feet and have kind of not great posture, and you just have no awareness, but you're not getting any feedback because you've kind of adjusted and there's so many ways you know your spine can can go this way if you're you know popping your ribs, your pelvis can go forward to help out or whatever there's all kinds of um compensatory strategies up and down upside down you don't you have no choice you cannot have those little leaks of energy, as we call them, because you, you just won't be able to hold it. So it really reveals where your imbalances are, and then you can really target that. So it could be that your shoulders are not open enough, or that your um, thoracic spine isn't open enough, or your core isn't integrated enough it really is not a lot of arm strength, honestly. You know, it is obviously some degree, but it's a lot of collaborative arm strength, rotator cuff, tricep, serratus anterior, those kind of things that are part of the shoulder. But it is it is really a full body integration and neural mapping. And um, yeah, and it gives you such feedback. It's like instantaneous feedback. Okay, like I see people who are set up really well and then they can kind of barely hop up. And they're like, I don't understand. Why can't I get up? And I'm like, okay, this is telling you something. I don't know if you have the hip range of motion to really get the push off and the pull in because the femur, the foot pushes you, but the femur has to pull deeper into the pelvis to feel like super integrated. So there's a lot of things. It doesn't have to be your shoulders or your core. It could even be your hip mobility is not quite there. So it it feels like a ton of bricks trying to get up. Because you, you've gotten everything, like it's the coordination of all those things. You might not have had hip mobility with real good core integration. And then you set yourself up and you've got core integration, but your hip mobility hasn't caught up yet.
1: No, because once you figure that out, once you figure that, that, that map, it's like you can practically float up into it. It feels so easy. So that's where I agree with you. It's not necessarily a strength thing. It is a motor plan thing. Now to hold a handstand, that is muscular endurance, in my opinion. You feel it in the rotator cuff and the periscapulars I and mean, everywhere. It is, you know, and then you start to wiggle and shake because you start to fatigue. So that's muscular endurance. But to get up into the handstand, it's way more motor planning than it is strength. But it turns into endurance to, to hold it.
0: Yeah. And if you're wondering, like, how do I even start to work toward that? We have, again, all kinds of classes that that work on that. But, you know, really start basic. What is your posture upright? Because your posture upright is going to be your posture inverted. So work on that. Work on your core. Do the triple S against the, the wall start doing like a down dog on the wall where you, you come into a down dog with your heels touching the wall and then walk up about halfway so you form like an L shape. Super, super, super challenging. And this is actually way more challenging from a muscular perspective than handstand itself because you you, you don't have your legs up in the air and, and your joints stacked. So you put a lot more load into your core and shoulders, but this will build the endurance that she's talking about and then you work on the motor planning of it through all the handstand stuff that we give out. Like seriously, just look on Instagram on my page, her page, and on Lit Daily. All right, as usual, this was so fun. Um, and as always, you can write either one of us on our Instagram pages. I'm Lara Hyman, and Kristen is KB Williams ninety nine.
1: Yep, that's the year I was married. That's the year she
0: was married. I love it. I was going to say, not not the year we were born, not the year we graduated. <laughs> 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 it seems like a while ago. Um, but anyway, thank you. Feel free to write us. We love your questions and we try to get to all of them. And as always, I'm pulling for you.